Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes if you can give it to me. I'm here at Broadcast Central. We have, and by the way, that's in Chattanooga, Tennessee, home for a couple of days. And let me tell you what's going to be happening this next week. John Ankerberg, he also lives here in Chattanooga, longtime friend, great television program across the nation and, in fact, around the world. He told me the other day I would be speaking in 14 different languages or dialects in the country of India. We're going to, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, do nine different programs, and he's asked me to teach all the way through the book of Revelation. So I covet your prayers as we go about producing these television programs. May they be a blessing to the people watching all across the world and understand God's prophetic plan for the end times. Well, as I was saying, all the broadcast partners standing by, we're going to be going in just a few moments at the half-hour mark. We'll talk with Itamar Marcus. He's going to tell us that the Muslim Brotherhood has gotten involved with riots on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They call that the Mount of God. And then we have all of our broadcast partners going to give you the latest details behind current events that are unfolding in our world. And the first one we go to, the man who we look to give us the insight into geopolitical activities, is Ken Timmerman. Now, Ken's in Sweden. Let me tell you what he's doing there. He's basically there for the purpose of writing a brand new book. We're going to let you know about it in a couple of weeks. But, Ken, we'll be praying for you as you write these books. I mean, you're an amazing author, and it's great to know that you're working. Is this a novel, or is this a actual factual book? No, this is going to be a novel that will come out just before the 2020 election, Jimmy, and will give uh, my take on what could happen in 2020. Oh, there it goes, folks. He's let it slip out. You can be sure you'll be interested in that particular book. I am. Can't hardly wait in until you get the book to me. Well, let's get into the news activities and your analysis of what is happening. Iran, of course, has to be in the news, top of the news, basically, when we get together. And the Iranian-U.S. tensions have erupted from Tehran. They're making this statement, and I guess they're focusing this on the United States, that every empire will come to an end. Well, that's true. The Medo-Persian Empire did, but they're still in the battle. Talk to us about this. Well, the Iranians, look, Jimmy, they are suffering at the hand of U.S. and increasingly international sanctions. And uh, Javad Zarif, the foreign minister who made this comment during this past week, is really smarting because he cannot get to his U.S.-based assets. His children who have had visas in the United States, who studied in the United States, now cannot go there and access his bank account. And so he's flailing. He's flailing out uh, at the U.S., trying to you know, make people afraid. Nobody in Washington is afraid at statements from Javad Zarif. This said, uh, the Iranians clearly are trying to step up the tension militarily in the Strait of Hormuz, and I would take as far more serious the statements from Iranian military leaders who are warning both the United States and Israel not to patrol the Strait of Hormuz, not to enter in the Persian Gulf. That, to me, is a far more serious statement than the foreign minister thumping his, his chest and wondering how he's going to access his U.S. bank account. 
Well, and that is uh, going in, of course, in line with what I am also going to ask you about. Iran sending a warning to Israel. If you get involved in the Persian Gulf, and as you mentioned, the Strait of Hormuz, there's going to be smoke over Tel Aviv. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? That is a strong statement, and those statements, I think, are uh, quite serious. The Iranians do not want to see an international coalition in the Persian Gulf, the Arabian Sea, the Gulf of Oman area that would inhibit their activities. They feel over the past five to six years that they have built up their military power, their naval power, their missile forces in such a way to drive out foreign influence from the Persian Gulf. And now they see it surging back into the area and they are worried. So they're desperate to keep foreigners out and the two biggest ones uh, they're worried about the U.S. and the U.K., obviously, but also they're worried about Israel. Israel has offered to join a multilateral naval force to maintain freedom of navigation in the Persian Gulf. And here is where the Iranians threaten Israel at home should they do such a thing. Well, it would be important if Israel could get involved there in the Persian Gulf, but the warning's pretty strong, I would imagine. There'll be political decisions and military strategy decisions made about what Israel is actually going to do. Meanwhile, Russia is allowing Iran and Hezbollah, those forces, to redeploy there just at Israel's northern border. A couple of thoughts first before you respond. Number one, Russia seems to be in charge there in Syria. And number two, it doesn't look like they're going to let Israel off the hook. They're going to be right there at the head of the Golan Heights in Israel, ready to move in there. And all of this is connected, Jimmy. All of this is connected. The Russians, as I've said many times on this program, we've discussed this, they blow hot and cold on Israel. Now they're blowing cold on Israel and blowing warm on Iran. And some weeks it's exactly the opposite. But now they're they're moving closer to the Iranians. They're turning a cold shoulder to Israel. They're allowing uh, Iranian-backed forces to go back into Syria, right up to the Israeli border, which they had driven them away from six to eight months ago. So the Russians are now helping Iran to increase Iranian pressure on Israel. And I think when Iran threatens Israel in the Persian Gulf, you have them, again, feeling this Russian support and feeling that they are more enabled to make these threats. If they threaten Israel in the Persian Gulf, uh, guess what they're going to do along Israel's actual border? Yes, absolutely, and it's in Bible prophecy. That's exactly what it talks about there in the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verse 40, when Syria will be the first nation, the Islamic nation, to make their move against the Jewish state. Meanwhile, again, Vladimir Putin inviting Iran. Now, there's been a close connection between these two for a long time, but now Turkey's going to be a part of an alliance between Russia, Iran, and Turkey in order to make some decisions about what's going to happen there in Syria and how Turkey is going to get involved over there with the Kurds. So what's going to happen here is a follow-on meeting between Iranian President Rouhani Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey and the Russian leaders. Now, we, we think that Putin is actually going to go to this meeting in Turkey around September 11th. It will be the third time, I believe, that they have met, and they're meeting specifically to discuss the future of Syria. Uh, the whole idea behind these summits between Putin, Rouhani, and Erdogan is to draw lines around Syria that exclude the United States and exclude the West 
and essentially lock in a Russian and Iranian power base inside Syria itself. Uh, we've had Russian forces in Syria for a couple of years now, since 2015. Iranian forces obviously have been there for, for, for quite some time. But here, Russia is seeking to basically place its stamp on the future of Syria and to decide the political future, the economic future, as well as the military future of Syria, along with its strategic allies, Turkey and Iran. If this isn't a biblical alliance, I don't think I know one. <laughs> I can guarantee you're right on target, Ken. That's that's the word of God, Ezekiel 38 and Daniel chapter 11. And uh, when you look at that, Tayyip Erdogan wants to wipe out the Kurdish people there in Syria, or at least move them back, set up a buffer zone. Is there really a viable possibility that there could be a Turkish-Kurdish war there in Syria? Is that possible? Uh, absolutely, and it's been simmering for quite some time. Now you have the United States, which we're told on August 7th, signed an agreement with Turkey to establish a buffer zone along the Syrian side of that border, but the Turks are already disputing that. They are already saying publicly, well, we didn't really agree to uh, U.S. troops coming into that area. We just wanted to keep the Kurdish military forces, the, the Peshmerga, out of it. So this is going to play out over the next couple of weeks. Turkey is, again, trying to push the Kurds away from its border. They'd like to see them 35 miles away, 35 kilometers away from the border. The U.S. says, no, that's way too far uh, because there are Kurdish villages that we, the United States, seek to protect. And by the way, there's obviously a very, very long history of the Turkish military slaughtering Kurds and destroying Kurdish villages. And that's one of the things the United States is trying to prevent. I uh, have to always bring to the attention of all of my broadcast partners that cover that area of the Middle East and Europe about uh, the Israeli Palestinian conflict, and now Muslims are saying unity is the key to ending Israel's control or relationship with the Palestinians. They think that's key. Is it ever going to be sometime in history when there's going to be a unified Muslim community? Uh, yeah, right. This, is, this has been a, the pipe dream since the reestablishment of the state of Israel in 1947 and 1948. The Muslim world has been completely divided Today, I think they are more divided than ever. The Iranians obviously would like to unify the Muslim world. The Turks would like to unify the Muslim world behind each of them, right? The Iranians want the Muslims to, to, to join in lockstep behind them, and the Turks want the same thing. Uh, it's not going to happen. The Saudis and the Gulf countries are dead set against both Turkey and Iran. And I think you've got this increasingly powerful divide in the Muslim world, and it's not just Sunnis and Shias. It's Arab and Persian, it's Turk and Arab, and it's especially pitting the Saudis and their allies against the Turks separately and against the Iranians separately. So I think there's more of a divide in the Muslim world today than there has been really in quite some time. Well, Ken Timmerman and I will be on the sidelines watching all that unfolds and see if there can be a unity Ultimately, the Bible talks about it. How long is that into the future? We don't know. But seemingly, this unity is not happening right now. Ken, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. And uh, always, it's great to have you on the radio giving us insight into these geopolitical activities. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. 
We're going to take a break when we come back. A Middle East news update. David Dolan's standing by. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're home for the week. I want to remind you, I ask you when we open the program to pray for me as I'm going to be a guest with John Ankerberg and his television program. We're going to be producing nine different programs upcoming this next week, and I'm going to teach through the entire book of Revelation. So be praying for us, if you will. David Dolan, as I promised, is the man who's going to give us his Middle East news update David, I want to ask you about the situation between the two congresswomen that wanted to go to Israel, uh, Talib, who is a congressman from Michigan, the other one from Minnesota, Omar. They were planning to go to Israel. Now, there was a whole group of congresspeople, I think somewhere in the area of about 80 or 90. I'm not sure what that number was. They were there just last week. Now, these two wanted to go in and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, in agreement with President Trump, seemed to think this would be just a propaganda trip. They were going after the state of Israel, as they have already done that, on the floor of the House of Representatives in Washington. They shut that down for those two going. But then uh, the Israeli government, uh, they decided that they would allow Talib, who is Palestinian, to go into Israel to meet and have some time with her grandmother and their family. But that has been rejected by Talib. What do you know, and why is this such an interesting development today? 
Well, Jimmy, actually, the two congresswomen were invited to participate in that much larger congressional visit that you just mentioned, where it's an Israeli foundation that sponsors those trips for new congressmen and women to come and see Israel and meet with Israeli leaders. They're also free to meet with Palestinians, and many of them do, and to see other things as well. But these two women, especially Talib, whose grandmother lives near the Israeli town of Modayin in Samaria, They made it clear through their program that they were not going to see Israel. They said they would meet with no Israeli officials, no opposition Israeli leaders, wouldn't go to any Israeli sites, would just go to Palestinian sites in Palestine. In fact, they said their visit was to Palestine, not to Israel, as Prime Minister Netanyahu pointed out. And um, the Israelis have a law, Jimmy, that bans anybody that supports or publicly advocates, I should say, the boycott disinvestment and sanctions movement against Israel from uh, coming to the country. It's against Israeli law to do that, and so Prime Minister Netanyahu was just abiding by what is the Knesset law here. And Jimmy, you know, uh, Talib released a statement after she asked Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu through Interior Minister Ari Derry if she could just come and visit her 90-year-old grandmother, and she said, I wouldn't do anything else but visit her. He said, come, you're free to do that. That was Friday morning. And then she tweeted back, no, under those, quote, oppressive conditions you're putting on me, I won't go. The interior minister replied, well, this exposed her true motives, provocative request aimed at bashing Israel, he said. And, you you know, Jimmy, I I tell my friends, think of it this way. What if uh, two British parliament members or two French parliament members, let's say, were publicly advocating in their parliaments that America be boycotted, all business be boycotted, that all dis, all investments in Israeli, in American companies be withdrawn, and that sanctions be imposed upon the United States. Would we be real thrilled to have them come? Would we invite them to America? It, it was a ridiculous plan. They should have gone with the other Congress people that were there. They would have heard both sides, and uh, the government of Israel made up its mind. But again, based on Israeli law. Very interesting developments. We'll stay on top of that story as well. I'm sure we have not heard the end from Omar and Tlaib. Well, what about the Muslim Brotherhood? It seems like they have been involved in launching the riots on the Temple Mount. Uh, They say it's a battle for the Mount of God and for all of Israel. Muslim Brotherhood, granddaddy of all the terrorist organizations. What about this story? Well, we know that they hate Israel and want to see it destroyed. They say that all the time. But, Jimmy, even more concerning to the Israelis is that the Palestinian Authority seems to have backed the rioting that went on last Sunday on the Temple Mount. In fact, they acknowledged that they ordered all other mosques in the Jerusalem area to be closed last Sunday to maximize the Muslim presence on the Mount. Of course, that was also the Jewish fast day of Tisha B'Av, as we discussed last week. And Many Jews wanted to go up uh, on the mountain, over 1,700 did in small groups. But they moved the time of the early morning prayers, which are always at 545. They were that way when I lived in Israel. You'd hear the mosque minarets go off at that hour. They moved it just for that one day to 730 in the morning to maximize the Palestinian Muslim presence on the mount, which was the case. 
and then they started rioting before any Jews came up, and the police had to come in. Well, the Muslim Brotherhood definitely behind this. They want to stir up trouble in Jerusalem and on the Mount. Hamas behind this, which was, of course, the Palestinian branch of the Brotherhood. But as I said, also the PA, Palestinian Authority officials, were participating in this. Meanwhile, Jordan said Israel's trying to steal control of this holy Muslim site, the third holiest site in Islam. Well, have to point out once again, it's Judaism's holiest site on earth, and the thought that Jews cannot go up there and pray at all is just ridiculous. That is discrimination. That is racism. Yes, it indeed it is. And you were speaking of Hamas. What about the fact they made a statement this last week? They are going to continue all attacks on Israel. And in fact, they say that they will shower Israeli citizens with missiles in any type of war with the Israeli Defense Force. Boy, they're not backing down, are they? No, Jimmy, and again on Friday we had another terror attack uh, in the Gush Etzion area where we had the uh, young Israeli soldier killed last week. On Friday we had a Palestinian car ram into a bus stop. A uh, 19-year-old woman and her 17-year-old brother were injured. The brother critically, his skull was fractured. But Hamas, once again, like they did last week, celebrated that attack in the Gaza Strip, praised it, and said many more such things will come. And they warned that a full uprising is coming if Israel doesn't abide by all of their demands concerning the Gaza Strip. But Jimmy, the head of the Gush Etzion Council said, quote, we've lost our our deterrence, and this situation is generating a terrorist offensive against Gush Etzion and other parts of Judea and Samaria, and he called on the government to uh, change this situation. So we continue to build up to a probably full-scale fighting between the Palestinians and Israelis, while at the same time we have the continuing situation in the north where war could easily come as well. David, as I sit here at the broadcast table and I listen to your reports, the insight you're giving us in all of these issues, it really comes to my mind the upcoming elections are most crucial as it relates to the future and any possible peace agreement. If that, And, of course, you don't think that's ever going to happen. But if it should uh, come about, if Trump is able to get that going, these upcoming elections are key, are they not? Well, they are, Jimmy, but uh, again, it's the overall situation, Iran in particular, calling for Israel's destruction. We had this week uh, uh, Hussein Salami, the uh, head of the Revolutionary Guards, uh, say that Hezbollah in Lebanon, Lebanese forces in Syria, I should say, can alone, he said, destroy Israel. He said they have such weapons now that they alone, without Iranian support or Hamas or anybody else, could actually destroy Israel, hinting maybe some small nuclear devices may be in Hezbollah's hands. We've discussed that before. So this is what's really concerning the Israeli public and uh, the prime minister. He forced into a second round of elections. But, uh, you know, we're talking about people that want to boycott, disinvest, sanction, and destroy the country of Israel. So obviously that's the lead issue that people are looking at right now, and that's the center of the political debate that's going on. Who can best deal with this? The polls are suggesting the majority of the people will again choose Netanyahu to hold uh, that role. That your evaluation, Netanyahu, will be the best to be able to keep some type of stability there in Israel and defend themselves from their enemies? 
Well, he's done it so far, and uh, he points out also all the time, Jimmy, that when he came to office the first time in 96, Israel had no relations with India. It had no relations with China. It had no relations with a number of other countries that have now become quite close to Israel under his leadership. So he's strengthening Israel's economy. He's strengthening its international relations. He's made uh, peace unofficially with some of the Gulf states. That's, of course, because they share a same enemy, Iran. He's working quietly with Saudi Arabia, things that people didn't think were possible. So he's proved to the majority of Israelis that he is the man to do this. The opposition leader, Gantz, also a former military leader, but a left wing, or more in the center left, and the people just don't think that's the route to go under the current situation, especially with uh, possible pending war with Iran, with Hezbollah, and with Hamas and other allies of theirs in the region. That's the voice of David Dolan, a longtime journalist in the Middle East, in particular stationed in Jerusalem and all of Israel and the surrounding area and these enemy countries as well. David, thank you for your insight, your Middle East news update. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. Edomar Marcus of Palestinian Media Watch is going to tell us what the Palestinian media has been saying about the riots that took place on the Temple Mount, and will they continue them? That's Edomar Marcus on Prophecy Today, upcoming in a moment. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into our second half hour. I've asked you for three half hours in total, 90 minutes, so we can give you the world and give you information happening around the world that aligns itself with the ancient Jewish prophets who pre-wrote the last days and what would happen, and they are coming better into lockstep as we go day by day. Idamar Marcus is standing by. He heads up Palestinian Media Watch. John Rood will give us a detailed report on the European Union and his update. And then Mike Gendron, we're going to be talking about But Mike knows about the Pope and making the statement that Mary and the Mother Church are ahead of Jesus Christ. Well, those conversations with those broadcast partners in a moment. But I want to bring this man, Itamar Marcus, to the broadcast table. Now listen, Itamar Marcus has an unbelievable service for the entire world. He has gathered a team together. They're from other countries of the world where their mother tongue may not be Hebrew. And they are then able to translate what 
we are hearing coming from the Palestinian media, the radio and the television, and then they're reading from the print media of the Palestinian journalistic operation, and we're understanding what they're saying, and boy, it's uh, very much concerning about what actually is being said. So, Itamar travels the world, not only here to the United States, speaking on college campuses, testifying to the Congress, both the House of Representatives and the United States Senate, but he does that in other governmental operations around the world as well. A great service that Itamar and his team are doing for the rest of the world as it relates to the Palestinians. Now, the main topic I want to focus on this time with you, Itamar, is that you had a report that the Palestinian Authority initiated clashes on the Temple Mount, and uh, this is a very interesting development. It took place on Tish B'Av. That was last Sunday when the Jewish people were praying at the Temple Mount, the time of uh, the destruction of their previous two temples, Solomon's Temple and then Herod's Temple in 70 AD. Uh, But I want to ask you about that. First of all, let me find out, tell everybody who the Palestinian Authority is so we're all on the same page, and how did they come into existence? Palestinian Authority was the result of the Oslo Accords signed in 1993, where Israel accepted that they would give the Arab population of Judea and Samaria a certain amount of autonomy, and then there would be negotiations to work out the details, uh, assuming that there would be peace. The Palestinian Authority is responsible for the lives and the education and the television, everything that happens in the Arab cities of Judea and Samaria. Uh, Israel has had a very, how should I say, complicated relationship with them. The Palestinian Authority has been very, very much supportive of terror all the years of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, every Palestinian terrorist who ends up in an Israeli jail gets a salary from the Palestinian Authority. So the Palestinian Authority goes around the world claiming to be working for peace and coexistence with Israel, but in fact we see by their view that that is not true. Well, and the Palestinian Authority, a different part of the body politic of the Palestinian people than Hamas, for example, there in the Gaza Strip. Palestinian Authority, I believe, had their headquarters there in Ramallah, just north of Jerusalem. Is that right? That is correct. And again, significantly what you're saying is true. The world recognizes that Hamas is a terror organization. In spite of everything Palestinian Media Watch has reported about the Palestinian Authority and its support for terror, the world has accepted the information but is reluctant to declare them a terror organization. Uh, and is still trying to work with them. How did the Palestinian Authority then make uh, these clashes on the Temple Mount happen this last Tishba off? So this past Sunday, which was, like you said, the day that the Jewish people mourned the destruction of the two first temples, the turned out to be the same day as a Muslim holiday. And what was going to happen then is that they, they would allow, the police decided they would allow the Muslims to come up for their prayer services, and in between the gaps, then the Jews would come up and do their own uh, visits to the Temple Mount. What happened was the Palestinian Authority decided to change. Now, their second prayer service was supposed to be very early, uh, sometime around 5 uh, 5.56, actually. That was the announced time. And the Jewish group wasn't going to be getting it until 7.30. So 
what the TA did is they changed the time. This is unheard of. They changed the time of their prayer service to be exactly 7.30 when the Jewish groups were going to come. They also had a spontaneous prayer service outside right in front of the door where the Jews were supposed to come in to try to block them. This was done openly. This was said openly. They said, we'll prevent them from coming. This is an outrageous thing. It is accepted by all decent people around the world to respect the religious needs of other people. And here, the Palestinian Authority leadership, who, like I said, is accepted as a peace partner around the world, they went out of their way to create a violent situation. And in fact, there was violence. There were clashes on the Temple Mount when the Jews came up because there were these masses of uh, incited uh, Muslims who were on the Temple Mount waiting for them to come. Well, I want you to correct my memory if I'm wrong, but as I think back through the years, was it way back in the 1900s, I think it was 1925, when the Supreme Muslim Council of the Mandate of Palestine actually identified the Temple Mount with Solomon's Temple. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Islam has always, till the last century, has always recognized the Jewish connection to Jerusalem and, in fact, the Temple Mount. And like you said, there was a tourist guide published by the Supreme Muslim Council in um, in 1925, and then later on it was done again in 1950 by this, again, Muslim Council, and they described for tourists who were coming to Jerusalem uh, all about Jerusalem. And one of the things they described was the Temple Mount, and they go into the tale, this is Solomon's Temple, beyond dispute, etc. So the Palestinian Authority is even denying Islamic tradition in order to deny Israel's right to exist in the land of Israel. Uh, and this is critical. The PA says the Jews have no history in the land, and therefore they have to deny that there was a temple, they have to deny that Jesus was a Jew, they have to deny that Jesus was in the temple, they deny Christian tradition, they deny Jewish tradition, all for the purpose of denying Israel's right to exist and our heritage here. Well, along the way, it's interesting to note that the Palestinians, the terrorist element of the Palestinians, will come up onto the Temple Mount to start such a conflict as we are reporting on. It, was that the final phase of it, this last Tishba Av, or do you think this is going to continue on? Well, unfortunately, it was just reported in Israel that there was another terror attack today. Uh, and in fact, there were it was filmed, and your your listeners can actually, I'm sure, look on the Internet. It's been the, the security cameras picked it up. Two young Palestinians uh, tried to stab Israeli Israeli policemen uh, at the entrance to the Temple Mount, and you see the Israeli policemen responding very quickly, and immediately shooting the two uh, the two teenagers. One of them was killed, and the other one's in serious condition. And the Israeli policeman who was stabbed is in moderate condition in the hospital. This has happened, and I am convinced this is a continuation from the incitement that was started by the Palestinian Authority on Sunday. Gets everybody angry, and of course there's going to be uh, more terror attacks because of it. So ironic about this report that we're giving you is that on Tishbaab, the last Sunday time that the Jews wanted to go up onto the Temple Mount, there were more Jews than have ever since the time of the Temple 2,000 years ago. More Jews than had ever attended a service and then gone up onto the Temple Mount. Is that a correct report? Uh, I didn't know the exact numbers, but I know that uh, every year there are more and more people going up to the Temple Mount, and 
eventually what what has to happen is the Temple Mount has to be uh, really divided into the area where the mosque is should remain a mosque and the other area where uh, there should be a permanent place of prayer for Jews. That is the decent thing to do. Let the Muslims have their prayer area and let the Jewish people have our own prayer area. Uh, but that, unfortunately, is a long way off because of the hate incitement of the Palestinian Authority that would respond to that such such a, a an action with uh, tremendous violence. And therefore, like I said, the Palestinian Authority uh, has to ultimately be, be replaced by the international community if we're going to have someone to make peace with. Well, that that you just talked about would simply be a temporary solution. I read the last chapter, Itamar. I'm sure you've read it. Second Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, where God promised King David that that piece of real estate would belong to the Jews forever, and that is an absolute. Hey, thank you, Itamar. I appreciate so much the opportunity to interact with you, but then to be updated on what the Palestinian people are saying and then actually doing there at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you very much. Bye. And by the way, there was participation in that violence from the Muslim Brotherhood. They come out of Egypt. Very interesting because they are the granddaddy of all terrorist organizations. This is a story we'll stay on top of with Itamar Marcus. But there is another region in our world, and we need to stay on top of all that's happening there. That would be the area of the European Union and the continent of Europe. The man who does that, John Rood, comes to the broadcast table right now. John, a lot to talk about. What about Boris Johnson, the new prime minister of Great Britain, is admitting the chance of a no-deal Brexit is no longer a million to one. It looks like it's going to be what happens on October the 31st. I don't know where he came up with the million to one. Uh, Yes, it's becoming more and more likely. The no-deal Brexit really is coming down to this point that the EU is forcing this hand and that, in actuality, they believe that Brexit can be blocked by the United Kingdom Parliament. So as long as they believe this can happen, then they're going to take this hard stand and they will not negotiate. So... The EU is trying to make the UK look bad that, you know, if they are into a no-deal Brexit, but in reality, they have no choice because of the EU stand. One thing that can bring a little light into the situation is the upcoming G7 summit, which will be in uh, Barrette, France. And so there's some talk that there will be uh, some talks and possible deals, understandings that's made at that summit. And incidentally, it's the G7, not the G8, because Russia has been excluded. Very interesting. Well, of course, Russia is uh, that nation that may endeavor to try to do something harmful to the European Union. Before we leave uh, talking about uh, Johnson, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, talk to me about the relationship that he's having with Africa and how that relates to the immigration situation. Well, Africa is in the news uh, with the European Union because Germany and the United Kingdom, they have suspended refugee funding to Uganda. 
And so Uganda is the second biggest host country for refugees. Nearly two million refugees are in Uganda. Three-quarters of them are from South Sudan. And the vast majority of the South Sudanese refugees are Christians. So we don't really know why. There's no statement why this was taken, but the United Kingdom has suspended the funding to Uganda which virtually all goes to the Christian Sudanese uh, South Sudan, which is a new country, of course, refugees. Of course, Syria has been a lot in the news in terms of refugees. The EU money actually has gone a lot to Libya because they have shown their concern uh, to control immigration into Europe. So, therefore, the money has gone to Libya to pay off the fact of reducing immigration into Europe. John, it looks like the European Union is going to start uh, putting warning labels on products coming in from Israel, these Jewish products. Uh, Why is this? Is this uh, something they believe they need to do, or is it against Israel? This is what has been, you know, through the years from the stand of the EU institutions. They do not recognize, and I'll, I'll use their own terms, They do not recognize Golan Heights, West Bank, including East Jerusalem, Gaza Strip, as part of the state of Israel. Now, this summer, we just had a new guidance from the European Court of Justice. It's a non-binding decision, but they're saying because these areas are not recognized, therefore they would have to be, products would have to be labeled. Now, the interesting thing here is that there would even be a dichotomy of the product labeling. So therefore, they would say that there are products that are produced in, this is their terminology, Israeli-occupied territories and settlements, and there would be product that would be from the West Bank Palestinian product. So it's very divisive, and of course, it has the effect of isolating Israel on these products. No other country is scrutinized on this level with this type of labeling. And yet the, the logic of it is because these areas are not recognized by the EU officially. And they use the term occupied territories when the United Nations resolution says disputed territories. Well, that's exactly. a story. Exactly. Yes, and that's a story for another time when we talk with John Rood. John is the man covering the European Union for us. Key location, a great important region as it relates to the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. John, we'll talk again next week. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Now we're going to go to a longtime friend and often a broadcast partner here with us on Prophecy Today. Mike has an organization of reaching the community of the Catholic Church. Mike, how many Catholics in the world would there be? Well, currently there's approximately 1.3 billion precious souls that are trapped in religious deception by this apostate church who now is governed by a false prophet, probably the most prolific false prophet the Catholic Church has seen in probably 500 years. And so it's my heart's desire to reach them with the truth of God's Word, because we know from John chapter 8, that's the only truth that will set them free from religious bondage. Absolutely. And that's about one-fourth of the entire Earth's population, isn't it? 
Well, it is, and so it's interesting, too, that they're building bridges with Islam, which represents another 1.6 billion souls, and so together they would represent 40% of the world's population. So we're seeing movements toward unity of those two religions, and of course our topic today is um, what the Pope is saying about Mary, and she will be the catalyst, I think, to bring these two religions together. I did send along a article that I read, and you had not read it yet, but uh, since you have, I wanted to talk to you about it. The title of the article, The Pope, and he says that Jesus is not our hope, but Mary and the Mother Church are our hope. Talk to me about that statement. Well, the Catholic Church has always exalted Mary, really from the very beginning. In fact, in the original English version of the Bible, the Dewey Rames, the Catholic Church actually said that in Genesis 3, Mary would be the one that would crush the serpent's head. That error has been replaced now with the truth. There's a masculine pronoun there. But it was going that way for quite some time before the Catholic Church corrected it. And when we think about the devil's goal is to keep people's eyes off Christ and his word, it's no wonder that the Catholic Church, who I believe is a pawn of the devil, especially the papacy, throughout the catechism we see Mary is exalted to really a godhead. She's not uh, part of the Trinity yet, but the Catholic Church gives her many of the characteristics of God. In paragraph 966, she is called the Immaculate Virgin, preserved from the stain of all original sin. And when her earthly life was finished, she was taken up bodily and soul into heaven, and she's now the queen over all things. And so Mary's body, which never experienced sin, was assumed into heaven. And then that same paragraph, Jimmy, it says that in giving birth to Jesus, she kept her virginity, and by her prayers she will deliver our souls from death. And so, again, these are divine attributes. We know that only God can deliver souls from death. And paragraph 969 says, When she was taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside her saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. She has been given the titles of advocate and mediatrix. Of course, we know those are titles given to Christ alone. He is our advocate. He is the one mediator between God and man. So, Jimmy, you can see that the Catholic Church is trying to focus the attention off of Christ onto Mary, and so this Pope, this is why he is doing what he's doing. He's made many bizarre statements that uh, I can share with you if you'd like, but this is the reason for the exaltation of Mary. Well, that then seems to be putting Jesus Christ, having been demoted, to third place as it relates to salvation. Is that pretty much on target? Well, you're right. Third place, uh, maybe even lower than that. You know, they would like to diminish his role quite a bit. I did a, a little article in my book comparing the Lord Jesus Christ with the Catholic version of Mary, and this is out of my book, Preparing for Eternity. And, and just listen to the similarities between the Jesus of the Bible and the Catholic version of Mary. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and Mary was said to be immaculately conceived. Jesus is the Son of God. Mary is the Mother of God. Both were born without sin. Both committed no sin in their lives. 
Jesus suffered on Calvary's cross, and Mary suffered at Calvary's cross. Both were bodily ascended into heaven. Jesus is the King of heaven. Mary is the Queen of heaven. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Mary is the Queen of Peace. Jesus is the source of grace. Mary is the channel of all grace. Jesus is the Redeemer. Mary is the co-redeemer. Jesus is the second Adam. Mary is the second Eve. So, Jimmy, you can see that they really have given Mary so many divine attributes, and it's no wonder that Roman Catholics are encouraged to pray more to Mary than to the triune God. You may have heard of the rosary. That is uh, where Catholics pray repetitious prayers, ten times as many prayers to Mary as to the triune God. So this is what Roman Catholicism is about, and this is why I have such a compassion for all those souls that are being deceived, not only by their apostate religious system, but by this false prophet known as Pope Francis. Now what you've just said, as I understand it, and those eavesdropping on the conversation, I'm sure, would understand it the same way. It looks like the Church and Catholics, and the Pope for sure, has put the Church above the Bible. Well, they have. In fact, uh, when you ever have a conversation with Roman Catholics sharing the Gospel with them, they will always say that you would not have the Bible if it weren't for the Catholic Church. And of course, that's completely wrong, because the Catholic Church didn't even exist when the Old Testament was given to us, inspired by God and penned by different men, different prophets. And then uh, we had many of the... um, scriptures that were given to us prior to Pentecost, when uh, the Church was actually formed. The Catholic Church didn't come into existence by most uh, scholars until the 4th century, and that's when Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And that's when they invited all the pagans and the pagan practices and traditions into the Catholic Church, and that's when it departed from the faith of the apostles and went into apostasy, and they no longer submit to the Word of God. In fact, they actually say that they have the authority over the Word of God. Their bishops are said to be the only ones able to interpret the Word of God, and so that's very cultic. When you submit yourself to a body of bishops that say, you must believe this because we're the only ones that can interpret the Bible accurately. Well, this all being the case... My concern would be, and I'm sure that's your ministry's concern, the reason you're trying to win as many Catholic people as you can to the Lord, how then would a Catholic, and for those who may be true born-again Christians, how would we go about winning a Catholic to Jesus Christ? Well, we have many resources to help people do that on our website, proclaimingthegospel.org. But, Jimmy, the ultimate goal is to get Catholics into the Word of God, because we know that they have been blinded by the prince of this world, the devil, from the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. And if you back up to 2 Corinthians 3, you see that that veil of blindness remains until they turn to Christ. And so we need to encourage Catholics to abide in God's Word, then they will know the truth, and the truth that they believe will set them free from religious deception. They must look to Christ, not to Mary, as their only hope of salvation. You know, as we've been having the conversation, my mind keeps going to Revelation chapter 17, which in the last book of the Bible is talking about a false church that will be located in Rome, Italy, 
under the control of Antichrist. Do you see that as the case as well? Well, I do. We know there will be a global religion that will worship Antichrist and the false prophet who I believe if we're currently in the season of our Lord's return, it has to be the Pope, the papacy, because no other office on this earth has the infallible control over the souls of men. And so when you have these two men, the false prophet pointing people to a Antichrist who claims to be the Christ, uh, then you see that uh, the global religion is really being formed before our eyes right now. This Pope is doing everything he can to unite the world under the power and influence of the papacy. And he may be too old to actually experience um, this taking place, but uh, he is pushing the ecumenical agenda forward at a more rapid pace than any of the previous popes throughout history. And so all we can do is keep looking up, knowing our redemption is nigh, because the stage is being set, the players are in place, and more than ever, I think we need to do the Lord's work and to reach those who would be perishing after the rapture, because we know that after the rapture there will be a powerful delusion presented to the people on the earth, and now's the time to repent and believe the gospel while they can. And all I can say to what you've just said is, amen, brother, keep preaching it. And give everybody your web address one more time. Sure, our web address is proclaimingthegospel.org, and there you will find many resources to help you reach out to this world's largest and most neglected mission field, the Roman Catholic religion. Mike, thanks so very much. We need to talk and have conversations along the way with you because we need to stay on top of what is really going on there in Rome, Italy, as we anticipate the fulfillment of that Bible prophecy. Thank you, my good friend. God bless you, and keep preaching the Word, buddy. Amen, Jimmy. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I've got another broadcast partner. David James is standing by. We're going to talk to him about the woman's place in the church. It's going to be maybe controversial to you, but let's see what the Word of God has to say. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. And at Broadcast Central, I've had my broadcast partners come and give us details about information around this world looking into the events that are happening, which may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, I hope you'll go back and listen to these reports. If you missed any, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. We've got one more, David James standing by. We're going to be talking about a very controversial subject, women preachers. What does the Bible have to say about these dear ladies? We'll look at that in a moment with David James. Wish you would uh, take some time to go answer my poll question. It's located on my website on the homepage, left-hand column. Here's the question. The recent riots on the Temple Mount during a high Jewish holy day with the participation of the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas seems to be a partial fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2, where it says that Jerusalem will be the center of controversy in the last days. And then I ask, do you believe that to be the case? 
Please answer the poll question. Be so thrilled if you would do that. And information that you may need about our tours upcoming can be found on my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to the broadcast table David James. And David and I always, on a weekly basis, have a conversation looking at an issue that the body of Christ, the church, needs to have a biblical understanding of. Now, we're going to do that this time as well. But, David, before we get to today's main topic, I wanted to take a moment to revisit something we first dealt with a couple of weeks ago. And that is because in addition to Josh Harris's departure from the faith, another fairly high-profile leader has made a similar announcement this week. And that has also gotten quite a bit of attention out there, especially on the Internet. What do you know? That's right, Jimmy. Just a few weeks ago, Josh Harris announced he was leaving Christianity behind. Then this past week, it was reported that Marty Sampson has lost his faith as well. Now, Sampson is one of the original worship leaders in the Hillsong United Church movement. And for those who may not know, Hillsong is a fairly extreme charismatic group based out of Australia, uh, but they have global influence because of church plants around the world, conferences that they hold, and especially their music. Music, which has made its way into, uh, I would say, much of mainstream evangelicalism. Now, Charisma News put out a follow-up piece in which they noted that Samson responded to clear up some of the confusion around this issue. So Samson said this, I have and continue to analyze the arguments of prominent Christian apologists and biblical scholars, and am open-minded enough to consider the arguments of atheist debaters and debaters from other religions. Then he went on to say this, if the truth is true, it will remain so regardless of my understanding of it. So apparently he's still thinking through this, but either way, uh, I would say that the situation with both Harris and Samson has sent shockwaves through much of the Christian world, and and these are all cautionary tales, I think. Yes, indeed, and very sad to have to give that report. We'll be praying for that, that man that he may confirm his relationship with Jesus Christ. David, earlier this week, you sent me an article about an open letter that was actually sent to Beth Moore back in June by several Christian women leaders. Now, again, let me say Christian women leaders are the ones who sent the letter who called Beth Moore out for her silence concerning homosexuality, even though she's been very outspoken about racism and misogyny. That's right. That article was posted on the Christian Headlines website, as you said, back in June, and it carried the headline, Beth Moore's Beliefs on Homosexuality are Called Into Question in an Open Letter from Bible Teachers. And that article's opening paragraph stated, in an open letter signed by Susan Heck, uh, Debbie Lynn Kespert, Michelle Leslie, Martha Peace, and Elizabeth Prada, the women asked Moore why she has not spoken out on the issue of homosexuality despite being a loud voice against, as you said, misogyny and racism. Now, I'll quote a few excerpts from that letter that was uh, dated June 18th that was sent to Beth Moore. They said this, We as female Bible teachers ourselves write this letter to you in hopes of receiving clarification of your views on an important issue, 
homosexuality. One factor prompting our open letter to you is the very public mutual affection and admiration between you, Jen Hatmaker, and Jonathan Merritt. In October of 2016, Jen Hatmaker said she was a left-leaning moderate, came out as fully supportive of homosexual marriage, saying it can be holy, and said practicing homosexuals can be part of the regenerate body of Christ. On April 9th, 2019, Jonathan Merritt tweeted, I no longer believe Beth Moore is a human. I think she is an angelic being having a human experience. Merritt has admitted to having at least one homosexual encounter about a decade ago. Today, by his own admission, he rejects biblical inerrancy, says a liberal Protestant would be an accurate description of him, and says his sexual orientation he no longer views as broken. So I would say that all this suggests that, like much of evangelicalism, Beth Moore's views are evolving to be more accepting of same-sex relationships, which is a problem. Yes, it certainly is quite a problem. I remember about a year ago, David, that uh, Christianity Today ran an article where the author made the case for Beth Moore to become the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Talk to me about that. Sure. Well, that's true, and I think we did talk about it at the time. That was last June, and the article was uh, entitled The Case for Electing Beth Moore as President of the Southern Baptist Convention, and it carried the subtitle, Despite Two Strong Candidates, If There Ever Was a Time for a Woman at the Helm of the SBC, It'd Be Now. And then the author went on to say this, Imagine for a moment with me, what if the person serving as SBC president at, at this hour was a competent, accomplished, biblically sound, orthodox female who could address a multitude of questions and issues the SBC is facing regarding women. And then he went on to say the criticism and skepticism would be less dramatic if the SBC historically had demonstrated confidence and belief in the gifts and value of SBC women serving in all levels of leadership. Even though I don't have a close connection to the SBC, we did attend an SBC church when we lived in Chattanooga for a while, about 10 years ago, and we were supported by a large, uh, a very large SBC church in the Atlanta area when we, were, when we were missionaries in Hungary. And so I've been closely watching this for, for years, and I still think a split's possible within that convention because of theological issues, including the move by many toward five-point Calvinism and away from dispensation. And, and I would say that since some would even consider Beth Moore as a good candidate for the SBC presidency, this just points to how serious and deep the problems really are. Now, we don't have time to get into the problems with some of Beth Moore's views, but those are easily found with a quick Internet search and uh, should be a concern for everyone involved. David, you also sent me another article about the Assemblies of God recently voting for a woman to become its first secretary general in the history of this denomination. That was also a Christianity Today article that came out last week with the title Assemblies of God Elects First Woman to Top Leadership Team. Now, the the Assemblies of God is the world's largest Pentecostal denomination with over 3 million members and over 13,000 churches here in the United States. That article went on to say this, For the first time in its 105-year history, the Assemblies of God General Council has elected a woman to its executive leadership, Ohio Minister Donna Baer. Uh, was voted in as AG General Secretary during its biennial gathering last week. 
So the position of Secretary General is the third highest position in the AOG denomination, and Barrett is now the first woman to fill a seat on that uh, denomination's executive leadership team. And as a general secretary, one of her responsibilities will be to oversee the credentialing of ministers. So that makes it a very important and powerful position regarding the development of future leaders in that denomination. And, and you know, moving women into important positions of leadership and authority isn't something new to the Pentecostal and charismatic movement. Women have always been extremely influential in those groups around the world from the very beginnings in the early 1900s. And what I'm about to say may be somewhat controversial, but I would suggest that if women were removed from positions of spiritual leadership and influence in charismatic and Pentecostal churches, those movements would very possibly collapse. Yep, I would agree based upon what the Word of God has to say. David, I don't know about you, but another woman Bible teacher whose name is brought up to me fairly frequently is Joyce Myers. And uh, she also has a large following of both women and many men have told me that they follow her. Well, I run into people just like you who like her teaching uh, all over the place. She has tremendous influence all over the world, not just with women, but with men as well, as you just said. Uh, She's an author and conference speaker and the founding president of Joyce Meyer Ministries in the 1980s. She was the associate pastor of a charismatic church in Fenton, Missouri, and that soon became one of the most influential charismatic churches in the area, largely because of her teaching ministry. Uh, She resigned from that position in 1985 to start her own ministry, and her radio program uh, initially began airing on six radio stations in the region. In 1993, she and her husband started the television ministry that first aired on uh, the Chicago Superstation, WGN, as well as on the Black Entertainment Television Network. In 2002, an established publisher acquired the rights to her books for $10 million. In 2005, Time Magazine listed her as the 17th most influential evangelical in America. And Meyer has long been a part of the heretical word faith charismatic movement, and she holds the many heretical doctrines, including prosperity theology, and that Jesus temporarily ceased to be the Son of God while on the cross, and that Jesus Jesus was tormented in hell by Satan and his demons, and so he paid for our sins in hell as much or more than he did on the cross. And she once made the following statement, I'm not poor, I'm not miserable, and I'm not a sinner. That is a life in the pit of hell. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I didn't stop sinning until I finally got it through my thick head. I wasn't a sinner anymore. Those are horrible statements. Yes, and not in line with the Word of God. Well, although it's taken us a while to get around to it on our discussion today, this all relates back, David, to an email that we received several weeks ago. Uh, It had the question of women in positions of teaching and spiritual leadership in the church. Speak to that, will you please? Uh, That's true, and I had responded to this lady when she sent in the email that we would try to deal with the issue, but a lot of other things seem to come up every week. So I hope she's listening today. Uh, Anyway, I've dealt with this question a lot over the years, and so I've studied a lot on both sides of the issue. The most crucial passage is found at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul writes this, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Then Paul gives two specific reasons for this when he writes 
for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So the broad context of these statements uh, really is Paul instructing Timothy concerning dealing with false teachers in chapter 1, and then putting qualified men into positions of leadership in chapter 3 to avoid these problems. So it's not about ability or equality, and in my experience, I've known many women who are much better teachers and leaders than some men I know who are in those positions, but rather it's about the differences between men and women in terms of God's order and creation and the way the Lord desires leadership and teaching to be carried out among believers. So there are many, many important roles and responsibilities for ladies in the body of Christ, but we are obligated to understand and obey the Word of God in these areas. Folks, I understand this may be a controversial conversation that David and I have had today, but simply looking at God's Word helps us to come to the conclusions we come to. Before you attack, just let me remind you, go to God's Word, study what David has given you from the passages of Scripture, and then send us an email. We'll be happy to entertain your thoughts and possibly even discuss it right here on Prophecy Today. David, thank you for the research. I think it was an important topic. Jesus talked about it, the book of Revelation, and he was writing to the church at Thyatira about Jezebel, a false female teacher. So I think we're on good, solid biblical grounds to have had the conversation. So thank you, and we'll have another one just like this next week. Thanks, Jimmy. It's always great to be with you every week. Well, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back after the break, I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey, everyone. This is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. The Bible gives us insight into all current events that are happening in this world. And on Prophecy Today weekend, we've brought our broadcast partners, as we do each and every week, to this broadcast table to give us insight into current events happening in our world that seem to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, these broadcast partners do an excellent job. If you missed any of my conversations with them, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, that's Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll be able to listen to each and all of the interviews. They've been archived there waiting for you if you had to miss any of the broadcast on the program today. Please listen to them, and once you have, would you send them along to one of your friends or maybe a number of your friends that need to understand this same information about what is happening in our world? In fact, you can send them a link, and you may have many friends that you contact through Facebook. Why don't you let them know about these events that are really helping us to understand where we are in God's time. The place to find these archived conversations is prophecytoday.com. Then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now, I want to rehearse what these men had to say today, and we'll give you a prophetic perspective based upon each and every one of their reports. Ken Timmerman, who was in Sweden, a great vantage point to be able to look at that part of the world and help us understand geopolitical activities around this world, helped us to better understand about the Muslims, and they have finally realized that if they unify, that's the only way they're going to be able to defeat the Jewish state of Israel. Well, that's exactly what the Bible has to say. Basically, today, the Muslim world is so diverse, they're each going their own way, believing that they have the right way, and they're the only ones that do have that proper way. But eventually, this Islamic group of nations that's listed in the book of Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83, they're going to realize they have to unite if they're going to defeat the Jewish state of Israel. I've read the last chapter, they're not going to be able to defeat Israel, but if indeed they are going to try to do that, which is foretold by these prophetic passages, they need to unite, and that's exactly what God's Word says they will do. Russia will lead a group of Islamic nations, that's the lowest common denominator in all of these nations that will attack Israel, Russia will lead that group, and they will try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and have their name forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. That's their plan. It ultimately will come to pass. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update. We focused on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now, you may say, well, you always focus on the Temple Mount or the preparations to build the next temple. My friend, that is the most important prophecy after Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 says that the Jews will be gathered from all over the world. They will return, they will rebuild, and they will have a nation which they've had for over 70 years. But the next important activity in that seven-year tribulation period is going to be focused 
focusing on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Not only the building of a temple, but the enemies of the Jewish state wanting to have that Temple Mount to set up their caliphate, similar to what we were talking about when we had our conversation with Ken Timmerman. And the Muslim Brotherhood this week joined with Hamas to go after the Temple Mount this last Sunday. The Jews were going to the Temple Mount at that time for the purpose of concluding their three weeks of mourning of the destruction of the first and second temple, Solomon's temple and Herod's temple. And they were going to be then beginning to pray for a temple in Jerusalem within the next 12 months, at least by the next Tishbaav next year. Well, the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, went up there to try to stop this from happening. They started a riot. There was violence on the Temple Mount. They were making the statement, this is only the beginning. We're not ending at this point in time. We're going after the Jewish people. They should not be on this sacred spot to the Islamic world. Well, it's the most sacred spot in Judaism, the Temple Mount. Reminds me of Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. The Temple Mount will be the center of controversy in the last days. Itamar Marcus gave us a report about the Palestinian Authority. Actually, they were the ones who initiated these riots on the Temple Mount. Now, who controls the Temple Mount today? Well, the Palestinian people do. Go to Obadiah sometime, read verses 15 to 18. You'll see that the ones who control the Temple Mount, they are going to be wiped out as if they have never been. That's the last battle that the Israeli Defense Force will have. That's a battle against Amalek. That's Obadiah, verses 15 to 18. Mike Gendron gave us a report on the Pope. The Pope is saying no longer is Jesus Christ the only hope. The Virgin Mary and the church are over Jesus Christ and our only hope. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, there's no other name that can be brought up and give us salvation other than Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said, Acts chapter 4. That's what is absolute from God's word. And David James and I talked about the role of women teaching in the church and leadership role in the church as well. This is all key. If you want to live by God's word and his plan for the church, which is key in these days in which we are living, you have to go to the word of God. The Bible is the absolute on both the man's role in the church and the woman's role in the church. Remember that Jesus Christ is in subjection to God the Father. Subjection is not a bad thing. To disobey the Bible, now that is bad. That's how we concluded our conversation with David James. I hope that you will go back and listen to all of these reports from our broadcast partners and send them along to your friends, help them to understand where we are in God's time as well. You know what your conclusion is going to be? It's the same as my conclusion. The fact is that what we see happening in our world today, and I hate to use this trite phrase, but is indeed setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And the next event on God's calendar of events in the end times is the rapture when Jesus calls up into the heavenlies to be with him. And by the way, that rapture can happen at any moment, even today. Nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.